In this season, we celebrate an invasion. Heaven invaded earth and proclaimed to those who could hear that things were about to change on the earth. And I love this picture of God in the form of, ch of a child. I love the idea of God experiencing the very world that he created with the same eyes that we have, that we experience it for the first time with. And to his birth, he invited the shepherds, the people who are literally on the fringes of society, tending to lambs that would later be used for sacrifice, and kings showed up, men who had been given abundance, but who also walked in the humility to joyfully give it away. So in this story, we see the two stages of the life of Christ. I think we look at the shepherds, who are these poor and marginalized people, there's a representation there of our lives prior to his coming. And when you look at the kings, I actually think that that's a representation of what he gives to us after his resurrection. And so we see both ends of the cross. We see, we see kind of the lonely poor on the outside, and then we see the wealth and abundance. And they're both coming before this child to bring honor, to meet the personification of the father in human form. And I'm going to pause real quick. I actually want to pray before we get too deep. God, we just ask that you would just hover over our time tonight. We just thank you that you came. We thank you that you invaded earth as a child and that you came to experience life as we experience it, to show us, Father, that you, you know what it is to wait. You know what it is to feel what we feel. And God, we just ask that you would guide our spirits tonight, that you would speak to us tonight. Amen. So I want to talk tonight, like I mentioned, about how we wait. And there's a lot of waiting in the Bible. There's waiting for freedom from, from the Egyptians. There's Israel waiting for freedom from Babylon. Uh, there's waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And then ultimately, there's waiting for him to grow and deliver his people. Even now, the Bible says that creation itself, the very earth itself, is groaning waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So creation is still waiting for us, each of us, to ultimately step into the freedom and authority that he's granted us. So the concept of waiting, it's especially evident when you have kids. Are we there yet? I have to go potty right now. Just this morning, we rushed out the door with our kids to go meet my parents and my sister and her family at the mall, and we were going to do pictures with Santa. So we rushed out so quickly that none of us had a chance to eat. So on the drive home, my daughter was very vocal about her insistence that she needed food immediately. All the other kids are okay, but she was the one who was going to die if she didn't get it right then. And uh, she has no problem speaking her mind. So Catherine was able to come up with a distraction by telling her that she should work on her loose tooth and try to get that out. And my daughter, who loves a challenge and loves to win, just like my wife, took the bait and got happily lost in that distraction. But it made me think about how we handle our pain. And it made me think about how we get distracted again and again until it becomes too much to bear. We, we kind of bury it, we put it to the side, and it pops up again, and then we bury it, we push it to the side, we distract ourselves with life until it pops up with unexpected force and hurts us and the people around us with kind of an explosion. 
waiting, especially waiting for healing, waiting for growth, waiting for life to come, waiting for something that you truly do need, it's probably the most common and one of the most difficult things that we do as humans. I remember some of my most difficult moments waiting. In eighth grade, waiting for a bone biopsy to come back to tell me if I had cancer or not. Remember waiting for what felt like an eternity to meet my wife. I remember waiting to see if and how our youngest son's lungs were gonna be clear of fluid and if he was gonna be able to breathe on his own. Waiting sucks and we all experience it to varying degrees. We all have something in us that our hearts need that we long for and we're just not there yet. We're stuck in a season of Advent, of waiting for him to come. God is not unaware of our pain or our burdens and he understands waiting patiently. In uh, Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you're the city that murders your prophets. You're the city that stones the very messengers who were sent to deliver you. So many times I have longed to gather a wayward people as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were too stubborn to let me. What I love about this is you get a glimpse into the ancient heart of Jesus. A lot of times we read through the New Testament and we see him kind of engaging everybody right where they are, right as he is. But I feel like you get a glimpse in this verse of an ancient God that has longed for a really long time. And he knows what waiting feels like. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And what's interesting is when that delay happens and our hearts grow sick, a lot of times we don't know if we're ever going to get out of that moment. We don't know if that waiting is ever going to end. But here's the interesting thing about the season that we're in now. In the season of Advent, like I said earlier, the whole intention is to purposefully draw attention to our waiting. So rather than making it sick, it actually fills us with anticipation and joy. We actually gain pleasure in the season of waiting for the arrival of Christ, or even just waiting for Christmas morning to watch our kids tear into the gifts under the tree. There's, there's actually a pleasure in the waiting, but what it's derived from is the knowledge that there is an end. Without the knowledge that there's an end, this season wouldn't be that much fun. But knowing, knowing that there will be a culmination of it, a fulfillment of it, not only keeps our hearts from getting sick, but actually fills us with joy and life. The difference is found in how we do our waiting. When Mary hears from the angel about Jesus and his arrival, it says that she treasured these things in her heart, that she treasured the words of the angel in her heart. To me, what I, what I believe that actually means is I believe that she said, I don't have a clue what this means, <laughs> but I'm not going to let it go until I do. I don't think she fully understood everything that was said, 
but there was a tenacity about holding on to those words until she understood what they meant. She treasured those words in her heart. Often when we have words of life or prophecy spoken over us, we appreciate it in the moment, but we don't do a good job of storing it away to go over again or to draw new hope or encouragement or insight from. You know what we do store away to come back to again and again? Who's got it? The negative words, right? Raise your hand if you hold on to negative words and come back to them and revisit them, things that have been spoken over you or to you. Am I the only one? Okay, there we go. The negative words, the words of offense. And we've got to flip how we handle these things. Because a lot of times when someone says something positive over us or they pray a wonderful prayer over us or we have a prophecy over us, what we do is we go, oh, man, that's good. And then it's done. We move on. But when something negative is said over us, we latch on to that sucker. We treasure it. And we bring it back up again and again. And we remind ourselves and we grow bitter and we grow angry. We lose hope. We get sick. What you hold on to is huge. How we hold on to life or not. We have, to, we have to make a habit of treasuring the words that bring freedom. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Some of my, one of my favorite examples of waiting, again, in the Bible is Anna and Simeon. And in Luke 2, uh, verse 35, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Think about this guy. This, this is an old guy. And basically, he's just kind of waiting to die. But God promised him, you won't die until you get to see the Messiah. Like, first of all, how cool of a promise is that? Most of Israel is waiting for the Messiah to come. And God actually tells this, this guy, you're going to see him with your own eyes. But how this man chose to wait... He had this, you know, I, I guarantee you there were moments in his life where he probably wondered if he was going to make it. There, there were likely health issues that popped up or difficulties or emotional struggles, things where he had to remind himself of something. And I believe in those moments, the word that he chose to remind himself of is Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming. Advent is going to end at some point, And I'm going to be there to see it even in moments where he probably had trouble believing that he was going to be there to see it, to be able to pull that up and say, I know my God. I know his word is secure. I am going to hold to that promise. Right in that same chapter, it says there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 which is extremely old for somebody back then. 
in that day and age to live to that age, that is incredible. And it says she never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Again, you have an example of somebody who was waiting, not in despair, not even in desperation, although I'm sure there was a piece of that sometimes, but with uh, the kind of hope that actually knew, not just believed, but the kind of hope that knew there was going to be an end. He was going to come. Any of you guys heard of the term shipping? Like when you watch a TV show or you read a book and there's, couple, there's two characters in it and you really want them to be in a relationship. Anybody ever experienced that? You're like, man, I hope they get together <laughs> in a TV show or whatever. Um, I ship Anna and Simeon. I totally ship them. <laughs> I just picture these guys, you know, I can imagine Simeon going up to her going, hey, you're in the temple? I'm in the temple. Hey, we're both here. We both love Holy Spirit. We're the two old weirdos waiting for a baby. Want to go grab a slice of matzah? <laughs> anyway, that's, that's my little side note. I ship them. <laughs> the Son of God was born into a culture and a society of people that had been waiting for him for hundreds of years. But only these two people recognized him when he came. And they recognized him because they did their waiting differently. There's a waiting that's focused on the problem and the need to end that problem and the difficulty you're having in that problem. It's like when one of my kids get a cut or a bruise and all they do is keep pushing on it and yelling louder each time. Anybody ever seen that from your kids? It's like he'll get a, get a cut. Ow, it hurts. Stop touching it. Oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> that's the kind of waiting that's focused on the problem, and all it does is get worse. And there's a type of waiting that focuses on the answer, the solution that is coming, that relentlessly believes and hopes in and even rejoices in the freedom that is always one day closer and almost at hand. It's coming. It's almost here. That's how we wait for Christmas. That's how we wait for life. I'm not trying to diminish the pain and the burden and the struggles that we go through and many even now here are facing, except that I kind of am. <laughs> Because as human beings, we were designed, we were created at our core to magnify things. We, we increase things. We were made to increase, to magnify the glory of God. The very core of our existence is that. And we will either make our pain bigger or we will make our God bigger. We're going to do one of those two things. But what we magnify we give authority over us. What we magnify, we give authority over us. What we hold in front of our faces is what we become like. So I'm not trying to say your pain isn't bad. I'm not trying to say our burdens aren't heavy. But what I'm trying to say is 
we have a choice to make that the thing that we latch onto and focus on every day. When we wake up in the morning, it's either that crap staring us in the face or it's the face of God. Something is going to be magnified in your life. And unless you make an intentional decision, you will accidentally live in the pain. Here's the thing, and I might get a little bit controversial with this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't believe that God is the author of our pain. I don't believe that it's God's will for us to suffer. It's interesting because my kids, a lot of times when I, when I tell them they can't do something or I ask them to do something, they'll respond with mistrust and with fear and with wounding and, and they're like, well, I don't get it and, blah, 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 and they get angry. What they don't understand, and I've, I'm beginning, I'm working through the process of trying to explain to them, every decision that we make, everything we give you or ask you to do or ask you not to do, there's a reason behind it. There's a reason we don't want you to stay up until midnight. There's a reason why we ask you to help with certain things because we know who you're becoming. We know who you were designed to be, who you, who, the, the glory of who you are, and we want to help that to shine as brightly as it can. But I would never purposely allow my kid to sit in suffering and pain if it's in my power to do something about it. I don't believe that God would do that either. I believe that he paid for our sin and he carried our burdens. The Bible says by his stripes we are healed. Not we will be healed. It says by his stripes we are healed. I believe that he is always good, always loving, and I believe his sacrifice was powerful enough that his end of the work is done. I've seen miracles. I have seen addictions broken. I've seen broken bodies restored. I've seen wounded hearts and relationships fully healed. And when we don't see those things happen, when healing is delayed or doesn't come, I don't believe it's because God is unwilling. He's already told us that it's his will. So I want to throw something out. Now let's, we'll see if it sticks, but I believe this, and I've struggled through this myself. If someone isn't healed, I think the first thing we need to realize is the problem is not God. And we need to seek him for direction as well as personal breakthrough. Also, we need to not take it personally. Because there are other factors involved besides great faith. So I want you to hear me. I'm not saying it's your faith, you're the, you're the problem. There's other factors. This is a multivariate and complicated world that we live in. I don't believe that God is at fault. But I don't think that always means that it's our faith either. That's just one element in the equation. We just need to be faithful to his gospel and honor him for the results. I think we also need to make sure we don't blame the person who's sick. There's a lot of sick people who have been in and out of our church, who we love, who we bless, who we've prayed for. We've seen some cancer-free that we didn't think had very long on this earth. We've seen some healed of things they've struggled with for most of their lives, and we've seen some that we've prayed for and prayed for and prayed for, and we have not seen breakthrough. 
I think as humans, we want to know the answer why. And because we so focus on why did I not get what I want, just like my kids, the only option is, well, we blame God. And we either say, God, you suck. (laughs) Or we say, well, I guess that was just your will. And we try as hard as we can to still love him despite that. But there's a little hint of mistrust that enters when you believe in a God that would let horrible things happen to his children. I think instead of trying to answer the question why, we've got to be willing to say, I know he's good. I know he's good. I know he's coming. I'm going to choose to continue to believe that my advent will come to an end. And I say all of this because our greatest hope for life in waiting comes from actually believing that we're loved by a God who wants to do something about our pain. If we don't believe that, then why are we here? Israel hoped for a Messiah to come, but they had a very clear idea of what he would look like, and Jesus didn't match it. But Anna and Simeon longed for what they knew was coming, and they were willing to look to their relationship with the Holy Spirit for the confirmation of what it would look like. They weren't shocked and offended that he came as a baby because they were open to deliverance from wherever God chose to send it. They just knew that it was coming. Waiting in faith implies a couple things. First, it implies that we magnify the solution, not the problem. We set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, not of our pain, but of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Second, it means we learn the art of preemptive thankfulness. We thank him for the little victories, the little wins. We hold on to those more than we hold on to the losses and the setbacks. We hold on to the little wins and the little victories. We thank him for the goodness of his nature and his kindness to us. And we even thank him for the answer that's coming even if we don't know what form it will take. Have you guys ever looked into neural pathways and how our brains work? There's really interesting concepts in there. We train our brains to move to a decision or to a belief, and we do it through practice. So your brain, by nature, is always going to take the quickest route So let's say I walk into a room and I say hi to somebody and they don't answer me. My brain, by nature, by practice, through years of practice, is going to jump to, well, gosh, they probably don't like me. And that's the easiest thing for it to jump to, and it's just going to jump there. It's not even going to consider the fact that they didn't hear me. It's not even going to consider the fact that they could be having a bad day or focused on something else or angry at somebody else. It's going to turn against me. And what happens is we build these little pathways in our brain where we experience pain and we run to this. We run to a certain belief about God or belief about ourselves or belief about other people. And overwhelmingly, our tendency is to jump to something negative. If people walk down a pathway and they walked on the same pathway time and time again, it's going to get worn down, it's going to get clear of debris, it's going to be very easy to traverse. And if you need to create a new pathway, 
you're going to have to push through the brush. It's not an easy process. You have to kind of start anew and create and forge that new path. And then you have to do it again and again and again. And this is literally what we have to do in our minds in order to overcome unhealthy thinking. I'm getting very practical here because I believe that this is a big piece of the how we can improve the way we wait for God, the way we believe for him. We've got to choose whether we're going to let our lives be limited by what we can see and what we've experienced in the past or whether we will trust in a greater reality. We've got to choose to learn how to wait in faith and to magnify God above our pain. And that's the same for learning how to treasure words of life. We have to make that connection and forge that path. Sometimes, guys, what that means is actually writing down the words that you get, the words of encouragement, the prayer that, that, that made you feel alive again, the prophetic word that you received, the promise from the Bible, the scripture, whatever it is. Put it somewhere you can see it. Physically, literally go back to it until you train your brain that when I'm in a place of pain, that's where I run. Not to the words my parents have spoken over me that hurt, or to the words that somebody else has spoken over me, or to my belief that I'm not good enough, or God doesn't love me. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Literally, I look at this idea, and I've always thought about this in terms of like winning in, in our walk with God. You know, let's, let's run this race with endurance. I've always thought about that. But I want you to think about where it says, lay aside every weight There's another translation that says, throw, away, throw off everything that hinders. Everything that hinders you, throw it off. I want you to picture, if God's here, he's right here, he's literally right in front of you and available and accessible, and we let our pain and our burdens and our fears and our insecurities and the negative things get right in between us and him we let them bog us down. We let them become a weight, not just on us, but that actually clouds our ability to see him and get to him, even though he is right here. As we wait for him to come, as we wait for the answer, in the midst of the pain and the burden and the trial, I want to encourage all of us, don't wait passively. Wait with action. The woman who had the issue of blood had waited 12 years for her healing. And when she saw her moment, when she saw Jesus, she literally pushed everybody out of the way. She pushed through the crowd. There was absolutely nothing on earth or heaven or beyond that was gonna stop her from getting to the hem of his robe. She was gonna get it. Advent, waiting, isn't sitting. And I think we often confuse that. I think we often think of waiting as letting the clock tick by. But I want to encourage you, waiting is an action. 
And if we throw off everything that hinders and we say, I will not magnify the burden and the pain. I'm going to choose to believe that he's good, that he's here, and this will not beat me. This will not get in my way. Nothing will get in my way between me and him. I want him. He's coming. That kind of hunger will drive you to healing. The last part of that verse in Proverbs 13, it's hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Jesus coming was to show us, and I think even this season, what it looks like when longing is fulfilled. What it looks like when there's an end to the advent. That tree of life, I love that, that picture because if longing fulfilled is a tree of life, in Revelation, it brings up the tree of life again. The tree of life kind of makes an appearance all throughout scripture. It's there in the very beginning. It's the tree they chose not to eat from. It's there here in Proverbs when it talks about our longings. And then it's there in Revelation. In Revelation 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I absolutely love that verse. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Longing fulfilled is a tree of life and the tree of life in us when we have that, is going to bring healing to the people around us. It's going to be, it's expansive. I hope this hits some of you guys where you're at. I just want you to know he's coming. He won't delay forever. Whatever the holdup is, we may never know. But don't let that become something that hinders you from running toward him. Don't blame him. And don't believe that he doesn't want to offer complete fullness to you. Press through. Magnify him, not the problem. Don't relent. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. He is the author of our faith, not our pain. So let him write some new words on your heart and make a choice to treasure them. Retrain your mind to treasure and dwell on the words of life and hope. And let the other words fall off your shoulders. I want us to try something tonight, and I want to ask you guys to stand. And I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. And if you're willing, I'd like you to just open your hands. Nobody looking around. And I want you to picture every burden, every sin, everything that's a hindrance everything that could keep you from his presence, from the tree of life. And as your hands are open, these are the things that we're going to ask God to take. This is our sacrifice. It's not your greatness. It's not your intelligence or your victories. Tonight, we sacrifice our weakness and our pain. The weakness of a child came with the power to break the weakness of our sin. 
The power of a king came to break the power of our brokenness. And tonight, it's time to release them. So I want to ask God right now, Father, would you come? Would you take hold of our pain? Would you take hold of the burdens? Father, the things that have, that have sat for too long, that have brought sickness to our hearts. God, I just pray that you would wrap your hands around them. And I pray that we would feel, Father, you pulling those away. And I want to encourage you, if you're feeling that tug, if you're feeling like there's something that God wants to take away, I promise you he replaces it with something way better. And I want to encourage you, just say, I release it. Just release it. The miracle of Christmas is that God came to teach us how to be every bit as free as he is. He's not angry at you. He's not withholding. He's a daddy. So God, we thank you for this night. We thank you that you came. We thank you that we get to enjoy this incredible season, Father, with our friends and our family. We thank you that you are and you will restore all things. That you are restoring all things and you will restore all things. Father, I pray for everybody in this room that struggles in this season, that has felt a difficulty fully engaging in the joy of it. And I just ask, Father, that new life would be planted right now. That new ways of thinking, new ways of doing, new ways of feeling, God, would be planted in them. Help them reroute, God, their paths and to be able to experience and encounter you. Amen.